Hello, sporty people. Hopefully you're sporty since you're listening to this podcast. And welcome back to another episode of Outnumbered with Kelly and Hollis. I'm Kelly. And I'm Hollis. <laughs> All right, we're very excited to introduce our next guest. Her name is Bridget Gannon. She is the Senior Director of Social Impact and Events with the National Basketball Retired Players Association. And I am not going to take up any more of her precious time. So Bridget, take it away. Hey there, ladies. Thank you so much for having me on this evening. Yay. Thank you. Excited to hear your story. Yeah. And hey to all of our viewers. Um, you know, I'm assuming a lot of you are maybe uh, young women wanting to get into the industry and maybe we have some male allies listening as well. But as Kelly said, I'm Bridget Gannon, and I have been in the professional sports world for 13 years now. It's kind of crazy um, to, to think about it that way. Um, I currently work for the Alumni Association of NBA and WNBA Legends. Um, I've been with this group for two and a half years, but let me take you back to the beginning. Um, in 2007, I started in hockey with the Washington Capitals. I was going into my junior year of college. I was a student in Washington, DC. I'm from Philly originally, by the way. And I went to DC with these ambitions to be a politician, maybe the next president someday and quickly realized uh, these aren't my people. And the summer before my junior year, everybody's telling you, you gotta get internships. You gotta get internships. And I really was trying to figure out what's my passion? What type of career or industry do I want to work in after I graduate? And I was dabbling with the music industry. I had some friends in bands, but um, the writing was on the wall with just, you know, digital and technology taking over. Um, there wasn't really a need for record companies outside of distribution rights. People's managers were their friends. People's merch people were their friends. So sitting around thinking, what can I do? What can I do? And all of a sudden it was like a light bulb went off. You're from Philly. You bleed green. You love sports. Are there jobs in sports? And uh, so I started, uh, you know, Googling. Um, this is back in 2007. And uh, it just so happened that the Washington Capitals had an internship position available in guest services. I applied, immediately heard back, go to their, uh, practice complex, Kettler, in Virginia for an interview. I knew right away I got the position because like the hiring paperwork was there. They were the worst team in the NHL at the time. Um, so, you know, people weren't knocking on the door to intern with them, but um, it was amazing. And that, that really kicked it off for me. I was in the guest services department. So I dealt with season plan holders, um, events for season plan holders, uh, benefits and perks for season plan holders, such as, you know, overseeing autograph signings that then the memorabilia would be given to the season plan holders. Uh, back in the day, they actually had ticket exchange. So before the caps became the caps that we now know, Stanley Cup champions, they, um, you know, if you weren't able to make a game, you could trade in your tickets for another game at ticket exchange. I ran that. Um, and it was, it was a really great introduction to sports because the people who were my supervisors at the time are still at the organization. Uh, Jim Van Stone basically runs the business side of the Capitals now. 
he was my head boss, uh, head of sales and service at the time. And Greg Menaris, he was, uh, you know, my supervisor and he's still there. And um, they've, they've really helped me throughout my career. But it was one day in the lunchroom. Um, I was in there and there was a woman making coffee and I was just like, Hey, what do you do? I'm the intern and guest services. She's like, Oh, I'm in community relations. I was like, well, what do you mean? And she starts telling me about community relations and kind of like right away, I realized this is what I want to do. Being able to help people through professional sports, just really aligned with who I am as a person. Um, I grew up going to Catholic school if we wanted to play sports with CYO, we had to complete our community service hours. And I actually loved my community service hours and I would do more and it was just great. So to think that I could take just that passion, that personal passion and turn it into a professional passion and help people using athletes and using sports, I was all about it. And I started doing my research, found out that in baseball, teams had nonprofits, as a business major, I loved that. Like, wow, okay, so now there's, it's a numbers game. It's not how many smiles did I put on people's faces being in CR, it's how much money did this auction raise? How much money have we given out in grants? What are our impact numbers? Um, it, it was more of like a, an analytical data numbers kind of crunch and, and I was really all about that. The smiles are great though, by the way. Um, can't discount the, the impact of the smiles, especially on kids. But um, I was kind of drawn to that. And I'm just the kind of person, you know, I get things done. I work hard. Um, I take things seriously. I, by fault, am a perfectionist. Um, and even though it was an internship, I really treated it like it was a full-time job. And my supervisor took note. And I remember at the, the end of the season, Greg called me into his office and we were talking about next steps and, you know, would it be something with the caps or whatnot? And he knew I was from Philly. He knew baseball was my favorite sport. And he just said, would you, would you want to stay in DC this summer and work for the Nats? And I was like, well, I'm actually planning on staying in DC. Like, yeah, I would, I would love to work for the Nats. He connected me with a woman named Lori Murphy in the box office. And, um, I became a ticket seller. So my first job at the Nats, and I was with the Nats for over 10 years, but how I started out was in an awful, awful uniform. I got so many uniform violations because I would wear flip-flops instead of closed-toed shoes, but I sold tickets at the box office. And, um, you know, it, it might not be what everybody wants to do, but hey, it, it was a start. And I really took advantage of it. I got to know the people in the box office. I got to know the full-time staff. Anytime people from other departments would drop off tickets for will call, I would say, hey, who are you? What do you do? And I just really wanted to learn about the industry, all the departments that are involved. Like, why is this person in a suit dropping off tickets in the box office? Like, what's going on here? Um, and I think people took note. Um, fast forward my senior year, once again, I was with the caps. I was doing, um, you know, game night staff getting paid and, um, the Nats called and, uh, offered me a postgraduate assistantship. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm graduating. I'm supposed to have a full-time job, but it was with the dream foundation. 
And the Dream Foundation is, uh, well, now it's called the, the Nationals Philanthropies, but the Dream Foundation was the Nats nonprofit arm. And that's what I wanted to do. So I was like, you know what? It pays like crap. Um, I'm probably going to have really awful hours. We're, uh, I basically just like stood in the, the little kiosk of the Dream Foundation on the concourse for all the games. Um, but it was what I wanted to do in the long run. And I knew I needed to start somewhere. And yes, I had already been in the industry now for like a year and a half. But if this is what I wanted my dream job to be, then I needed to start somewhere as well. And, um, you know, I, I, I started there and uh, it, it ended up being a really great 11 and a half seasons at the Nationals. Um, at the end of that season, I was offered a full-time position by a vice president in a department that I just happened to you know, strike up conversations with and get to know on the concourse. And um, it was an administrative assistant role. And I, I will admit to those listening, especially the young ladies out there, like, yeah, I was, did my ego take a hit? Like, I'm a college graduate. I've been interning for all these teams. And, you know, I've got great grades, a great GPA. I'm a go-getter. Now I'm an administrative assistant. Like, yeah, I, I thought that way. And now I wish I could go back and shake that like 22 year old Bridget and say like, Hey, don't knock this because let me tell you the two years that I was the administrative assistant for the CFO, the vice president of finance and the vice president of ballpark operations and their respective departments. I learned so much. I learned how this, how this industry moves, how it ticks, how different departments are all involved with each other contract pro processes, purchase processes, service processes, who needs to sign off on what. Um, contracts would go through my desk to have my bosses sign off on them. And it would be like, we want Ryan Zimmerman to be in a Geico commercial. And like in the contract would be the storyboard of like, this is what we envision the commercial to be. And I really knew like everything going on in the entire organization. And um, I had to keep a lot of it private and I did. And I think, you know, people took note of that. They, they learned that, okay, this girl, she's a hard worker. She'll keep things private and confidential that need to be. She's worked with our very top executives. Like, okay, like she's, she's part of this little trust circle. Um, and Two years into that role, a full-time position opened up in the Dream Foundation, and I just went for it. I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I want to be. They know me. I was their post-grad intern like two years ago. Like, this is my position to lose. And, um, you know, I, I got that position, and then I, I never let go of the Dream Foundation. And I really... Um, I really grew there both, um, you know personally and professionally and the foundation grew too and I don't want to say it was all because of me it just kind of was like you know 50-50 raffles became a thing so all teams started doing 50-50 raffles but like I got to be the one that implements that a legacy field program started where we started refurb refurbishing fields all in the DMV area did I create that maybe not maybe it wasn't my original idea but like damn sure I'm the one who was out there with my colleague, Sean Bertani, you know, scouting our field and figuring it out and wearing hard hats and telling guys like the grade in left field is not correct. Um, 
So it, it really was a really wonderful experience. And, you know, it was also a learning process about myself. I really was enjoying working with players, especially the last few years of my career. I think as a young woman in sports, if you're in it for the right reasons, which I hope all of our listeners are, I think you're all, you're always a little fearful of, is someone going to think I'm in the clubhouse because I like a player or like, if I'm talking to a player, is someone going to try to think I'm like hitting on him? Like, I'm not about that. Um, I'm here to do a job. And I, I was worried, like going into the clubhouse scared me having to talk to players. I was worried because I didn't want someone to think it was for a non-professional reason, but towards the end of my time at the Nats, I was in my late twenties, early thirties. I was like, I've already been here nine, 10, 11 years. Like, come on now. And, um, the, you know, the, the output of that was, Hey, I'm kind of okay in this role. I, I kind of like get along with the guys. I make it pleasant. I make it funny. Like the guys I know I can joke with, I'll joke with, um, working with their families. I can do that. Working with the guys in the clubhouse. I'm good on that. Like I'll chat with them. I'll pop by, I'll see how they're doing. And I kind of was like, maybe this player relations thing is something I want to get into. And, you know, I, I had lived in DC for 14 years and it's a political town and I wasn't a political person. And it just got to the point where it was like, you know what, I'm never going to be able to afford to buy a place here. The dating scene sucks for a younger 30 year old who's been here since she was God, 18. Um, but, uh, it was time for me to get out and I, I started a job search and it, it was a very, very long job search because I was very strategic. I had a couple cities that I was willing to move to and um, I wasn't going to settle for a role that I wasn't really intrigued about and thought could really help me in areas such as player relations, alumni relations, and growing my nonprofit knowledge. And this position came up with the National Basketball Retired Players Association, which we lovingly call NBA alumni or legends of basketball. But um, I was like, I, I think this is my chance. I, I did a lot of research on them. They had a great legends care program, but it really only had, um, you know, one initiative, full court press initiative. And I, I saw a lot of growth there, a lot of potential. And I thought I could be the person that really helps grow the legends care initiative and, you know, put, put some more programs into place. Um, and I also figured, Hey, I'm going to be dealing with all of these former players, both NBA and WNBA. Like, of course, this is going to help me with player relations slash alumni relations. And, um, the last two and a half years has been really wonderful. I have so enjoyed my time working with this group. Um, they've been so receptive to my ideas, uh, with the legends care front. And it's so wonderful to, you know, text or, or call someone and say, Hey, we're going to give out turkeys at this youth center, or, Hey, I'm going to give out backpacks. Like, do you want to come help? And they're like, yeah, girl, like, when do you need me? Where do you need me? Do you want me to text other people instead of when I would walk into the clubhouse and all the guys are like, Oh shit, what's she going to ask me? So it's, it's so, it's so cool working with athletes who are at this end of the spectrum. They're not in game mode anymore. They're, you know, retired from playing sport, but they're not retired from life. Like they've got their second acts, their third acts, their fourth acts going on. But um, 
they want to give back now. And now is the time like that they can give back. And I, I, I've just, I've really loved it. So that's kind of my, my journey and, and where I'm at right now. Um, I haven't talked about what I've done in COVID, but maybe we'll get to that a little later because that's a wild story. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my path. Yes, you. I, I see Kelly's face, but you touched on so many points that I was just like, huh, we, we don't have enough time <laughs> to hit on everything. <laughs> like there was a lot of what you said that really resonated with me. Two things. One, when you said you didn't want to be in the clubhouse and have people associated you for the wrong reason of dating a player or all this stuff. That is so true. And people always think that. And especially for me, I'm just like nine times out of 10, I don't even know who you are. So <laughs> it's like that. So true though. So true. As Kelly shakes her head. No, it is very true <laughs> that I have no idea. And then one other thing that really stood out to me is when you found this opportunity and you said, hey, you noticed that program and you noticed what it was lacking and all these ideas and you brought that to the table to them. I think that really shows, especially when you're job searching, go a step and beyond. Don't just go into the interview answering the questions that they have, but also go into the interview with ideas. How can you go a step and beyond to impress them and show them that you really did the research beforehand? Exactly. It's, you know, I think so many people and especially now, like, Gosh, it's, it's been a really tough year. And as I said at the beginning, I've been in this industry now 13 years and I have a lot of friends and a lot of, you know, former colleagues and coworkers who currently don't have jobs, um, are currently furloughed or have lost a big percentage of their salaries. And, you know, they're, they're trying to stay afloat. And I think for all of those out there listening, who are in a job search right now, no matter what your circumstances. Yeah, I understand you need a job, you want a job, but treat the interview process and the job hiring process as like, what does that company need? And what can you give that company? And what can you bring to that company to make them want you? And I think that's really what I was able to do here with the MBRPA. I did a ton of research, as you said, Hollis, and I really saw like, okay, this is what they've been doing great, but this is where I could help them be even better. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's stayed like that the entire time I've been with the organization the last two and a half years. And it's so refreshing and it just makes me like, you know, just feel like very, you know, personally and professionally, I just feel like so validated and valued and um, just are a key component of, of a very small staff of six. First, I would just like to say I've been fangirling this entire time you've been talking. <laughs> everything you say just ugh, like hits home. I like a huge belief I have is utilizing sport to impact social change as just a positive impact on the community. I think it's such a powerful force. I think it's a force unlike anything else. Um, it has the power to unify people who, you know, as we see now, we're a very divided nation. And then you have something like the Olympics come around and all of a sudden, no matter who's sitting next to you, you have your arm around them and like you're screaming for the same team. So I was super excited when like Hollis brought you on to be a guest. I was like, oh, yes, like, <laughs> um, so everything you were just saying that. And then also, kind of touching back on what Hall said, it's just kind of the humility aspect. And you, you really, in this industry, you kind of have to throw your ego 
when you're starting, you have to throw your ego out the door and kind of do whatever it takes. Even in, you know, if you're an administrative assistant, I mean, I feel like I work this in almost every episode, but like when I worked in minor leagues, I was pulling tarp. I was, oh yeah, girl. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody pulls tarp in minor leagues. (laughs) Yep. You got to do it. Like no questions asked. Um, It's dirty. It's not the, you know, the best part of the job, but it's got to be done. Somebody's got to do it. And you really have to like earn your stripes when you're first starting out. So yeah, just everything, everything. Um, but to be back on the professional side of things, um, you, I mean, a bigger part of this industry is kind of the networking side. And I know in your story, you kind of talked about, oh, I just happened to bump into so and so. And from that relationship, I, you know, built this. How do you, like, how do you go about that for someone who's very awkward individual? How do you yeah. build that genuine connection if it just happens, you know, you meet them in an elevator or in the lunchroom? Mm-hmm. So that's a really great question. I personally hate the word networking just because I hate networking. Um, I feel like it's forced. Um, I remember like right after I graduated college, um, the alumni like office invited a ton of us who still lived in DC to like come to some luncheon. And it was all like, bring your business cards and hand them out. And I was like, I don't have freaking business cards. Like, what, like, what is this about? And it was just like really awkward. It was DC. So it was a lot of like older guys in suits. Like, what is this? I'm not a networker. What I am, I love talking to people. I love building relationships, real relationships. I love helping people, which oftentimes puts me at a disadvantage because people like to take advantage of that. But um, that's just who I am. And I can't turn it off. I've tried. Oh boy, have I tried when I felt like, damn it, this person's taking advantage of me. Like, I just like, don't want to help anybody. I just want to like come into work and do my job. Hey, I'm not that person. I'll never be that person. I want to genuinely help others. And if others can help me, that's great. But I am afraid of making asks um, because I just hate being on the receiving end of asks. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, relationship building is so important. If you do have an internship or if you, if you are like a 50, 50 raffle ticket seller, or if you're being an usher at a minor league, you know, ballpark for a summer, talk to your supervisors. They may seem busy, but just like shoot them a message. Hey, I'd be interested to learn about your journey. Like, could we do lunch or could we do coffee? Like try to schedule a time outside of their busy time and make your ask known. Like, and when I say ask, I mean more of like, maybe your desires, like your job desires of like, hey, I would really like to be in corporate partnership someday. I know I'm a 50-50 ticket seller now, but like, do you have any recommendations on how I could get in there? Or like, is there someone in the organization I could talk to? Yada, yada, yada. Like, if you don't, make the ask, or if you don't say what you're looking for, how's anybody going to know, especially a supervisor. Um, and then once you're in the door, just like I did, I was just a freaking, I was a 20 year old intern in a lunchroom asking a random woman, Hey, what do you do here? Yeah, it's awkward. Um, they might like, it could have been the wrong person. It could have been someone who looked at me and they're like, who the hell are you? Like, leave me alone. I've got a busy day. (laughs) Luckily that didn't happen. But like I'm saying that could happen. But once again, if you don't take the chance, if you don't put yourself out there, Mm -hmm. 
you like nothing will happen. You need to make that step. And if you are the type of person that feels awkward in those social types of situations, always remember baby steps are still steps. So even if you don't have an elevator pitch, so say you're stuck in the elevator and you're with like the general manager of the team, or, you know, it's, it's a late night, you're, you're, you're done working a game. You're just trying to get home, study for an exam you have the next day because you're a lowly intern. And all of a sudden, like you're in the elevator with a vice president or a player, you don't need to have an elevator pitch. Like you don't, if, if you're an awkward person, like it's not like you need to have the Harvard level ready to go. A baby step's all you need. And you could just be like, hey, I'm Bridget. I'm the intern with guest services. Like, I love that our season plan holders just like are so obsessed with this team. Like, yeah, you might sound dumb, but at least you're not saying nothing. So that's what I think. And that's something that I've really, that, that phrase and it's, it's from a movie that I might be telling my age right now, but it's a movie called What About Bob? And it's a really awesome comedy with Bill Murray, but it's like baby steps are still steps and you can carry that through your whole career and your whole life. But especially if like you're that awkward person trying to start quote unquote networking, AKA building relationships, just start somewhere, but you got to start. True. And it's the more you talk to people, the more comfortable you'll get. So I always try. <laughs> Kelly made a face, so I guess maybe not. But that's what I tell myself. I'm like, the more I just kind of go for it. If I can just say, hey, <laughs> and then hopefully the rest will follow. It yeah. nine times out of 10 doesn't work out that way. But if I can at least start the conversation, we'll see where it goes. And so another point um, throughout your story is I want to hit on, you talked a lot about hustling, like you were on it, you were talking to the right people, but not only were you talking to the right people, like you were working hard, you were keeping your head down, you were getting the job done. So it's kind of like you were checking all the boxes of being the perfect intern. So what <laughs> tips do you have for hustling um, and working in sports as a woman? Ooh, well, I'm glad you asked that because I just realized I never even talked about my side hustles. Um, <laughs> oh, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was very strategic in how I did my side hustles. Um, I graduated from university with a ton of student debt. Um, you know, I paid my way through college, but it was thanks to Sally Mae. So um, I graduated with a ton of student debt, which I still have. Not as big as it was, but still got it. Um, and I also lived in a very expensive town. So even though, um, you know, I was full-time employed with the Nationals as an admin, uh, I was not, I, I needed extra money just to pay my bills. Um, and I had friends working at bars. I had friends, you know, working at Ann Taylor Loft on the weekends. Um, all different kinds of things, but I used my connections, which were self-made. All of my connections have been self-made and that is something I was very proud about. I am not an insider in the industry. Um, I don't have like a godfather who is, you know, an owner of a team or, you know, my uncle's not a GM. No, everything I've done, I've, I've done it myself. I'm very proud of that, but I used that. So I went back to my people at the Caps. Hey, do you guys need part-time? Like, can I get paid to work games? 
I know your seasoned landholders. They know me. You know, I can take care of this. You know, you can trust me, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, of course. When Ted Leonsis purchased the Wizards, hey, Bridget, would you be willing to work Wizards games? And then would you actually be willing to work in our owner's club and deal with our ownership and our top clientele? Yeah, of course. You going to pay me? Yeah. Okay. You got it. And it was just one of those things where luckily our off seasons were different. So for hockey and uh, basketball seasons, I would be at work until 530. I would go straight to Verizon Center and uh, my call time was six and um, I would work. I would work the game. And uh, I did that for God. I was with the Caps seven seasons and I think the Wizards six seasons. And, um, you know, it got to the point where my full-time position, I was at a point where I was more of like an executive level. I was really running day-to-day options of the uh, operations of the Dream Foundation. I was at work till God, midnight, 1 a.m. I couldn't really work the games anymore. Did I still need that extra money? Yes, but... I really needed to commit to the full-time job. And that's why um, I I stopped doing the part-time things, but it really is a hustle. It really is a grind. And if you can figure out a way to supplement your income, which is going to be a low income, if you can work in another sports area and grow your network, prove to people that you're a hard worker, you're a pleasant and professional person, you get the job done, you're trustworthy, it'll really help you in the long run. Um, And that's, you know, I'm just going to echo it. I think I said it earlier, but no matter what job you have, what opportunity it is, take the bull by the horns and don't let go. And even if it's like something you hate or something you think is below you, do your best because people are watching. And if you don't do your best, people are watching and you're not going to get a next opportunity. Mm, that's, that's true. Especially people are always watching when you said <laughs> clearly you could see my thought process happening. I was like, that's true. Good or bad. People are watching at always. all times. So you want to make sure that you are on it. Yes. Yeah. I feel like I'm the worst at that. Cause I tend to be a very kind of quiet person. So I'm very used to being in the background. So as I've progressed in my career, I have to remind myself, you know, people may actually be looking your way. So mm-hmm. um, that's always a constant reminder I have to give myself nowadays. But Hey, <laughs> Kelly, quality over quantity. Uh, like I would put that on my tombstone. It matters. So keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. So unfortunately, we are low on time. There was just too much content in this episode to be contained to one part. So fortunately, we have a part two for you. So if you could tune into that. You did it so perfectly. Bye, guys.